Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to begin talking about the Kingdom of God and... uh, and uh the show is on Corinthians and we're in uh Corinthians um 15 we were doing uh 14 this morning finished up 13 and went into 14 now 13 what we've done is we created at preparingyou.com we've created a uh involved series of pages on Corinthians where we go through every single verse, every single chapter, and we show you the background of what Paul was doing at that particular time, what was going on in Corinth at that particular time, what kind of people were in Corinth, and what they were actually having to deal with. Throughout the Roman Empire, we were having troubles with shortages of grain, which could cause these uh, massive starvation. You know, when the people were uh, migrating people that were constantly moving with flocks and herds or when they were hunter-gatherers and the food ran out in one location, you just went to another. But when you're going to build cities and depend upon the infrastructure of those cities and the grain doesn't show up because they don't usually grow the grain in the city, you simply move to another area. But if you have stable cities, stable economies, uh, specialized people that can't do everything but do specific things, build boats, build this, build stone buildings, build aqueducts, fight in the military, all these are specialized things and they depend upon the infrastructure of society in order to maintain society. Now, for thousands of years, people ran out of food, there was bad hunting, they moved into another area, which was fine, as long as nobody else was there. But if there were other people there, they might say, well, you know, hunting's not been so good for us either, so we don't want you coming. <laughs> so they fight with each other. And the same way with grays, and when grays started getting scarce, that was a problem. And so moving around was fine until you started bumping into other people. So... What was going on in the Roman society, and Roman civilization, uh, was the fact that there was problems and vast portions of the civilized society had to suddenly move or bring food in. While Rome tried to bring the food in, the Christians could not depend upon the free bread of Rome. When there were these shortages, when there was a dearth in the land, they had to muster up finances and move them to other locations all across the Roman Empire where there was a shortage of food. They had to do it themselves. They had to get it there themselves. They could not depend upon the government because they were separate. They they weren't members of the religious institutions that were run through the temple. So they did not have access to the free bread. One of the ways you got free bread was you had a little clay tessera. It's a little like clay identity card. You show that, you get free bread. And, uh, you know, at the different locations throughout the, the Roman Empire, throughout uh, the city of Rome. And, uh, you know, you might try to get to another location, but you needed to be known at the location you went to. And you could make arrangements. If you fell on hard times, you could get help at the temples. The Christians didn't involve themselves in that system because that system was supported by forced offerings. 
the people were forced to pay in once you became a member of that system. There were a lot of people who weren't a member of any system, like the gypsies during World War II. They they were on their own, and so they were kind of persecuted, along with a lot of the Jews were on their own, and they were persecuted. But after World War II, everybody had to belong to one system or another. Uh, it was, uh, I think it was Trieste, uh, one of those places that... Uh, a lot of the refugees went there, and before you leave, you had to become a part of one government or another. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of dependence upon governments for social welfare, but that system of depending on the government for your social welfare had begun, at least in 1913, 1916, certainly by 1933 in the United States. Public schools were now financed almost entirely by the government, by the 45 and so now you would be educated by the government through the government schools of free education but it wasn't free it was paid for by taxes that didn't exist 150 years ago there were public schools but they were mostly financed by private donations they were on public land and they were open to the public But in order for them to successfully operate, they depended upon contributions, endowments, etc. It wasn't entirely supported by the government. That was just unheard of from the point of view of early Americans when America was great. Most education was provided through private means, either through home education or through parochial schools or through local philanthropy where somebody just started a school for their own kids and then they would let their employees' kids come there and then they would let some of the neighbor kids come there and expect the neighbors to contribute according to their ability. And that was public education, but it was privately funded. Not understanding that, not understanding this idea that you don't want to be taking from government benefits that are provided by forcing your neighbor to contribute, not understanding that that empowers government in ways and multiples of levels and in multiples of ways in which they re-educate your children to think that that's okay. That wasn't okay with Moses. It wasn't okay with John the Baptist. It wasn't okay with uh, Abraham, who would not touch a buckle uh, of spoils that was taken from somebody else by force. This is very important to understand this in the kingdom of God because this is an important principle. Once you accept that lie that it's okay to take from your neighbor as long as you do it through government, you can be taught to think almost anything. And so you want to get away from that idea, repent of that idea and think a different way. Now, I'm not saying to do away with government. I'm saying do away with your dependence upon it. And the way to do that is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that requires soul changes, mind changes, heart changes. And, of course, who's going to make those changes? Not me. It's God writing upon your heart and your mind. So once you begin to question the idea of what is commonly accepted in this society, in European society, uh, Canadian society, Australian society, Chinese society, and start realizing we could do this ourselves through charity better than the government is doing it. Once you realize that, then 
you can start working in that direction. And that's what seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is all about. A lot of people think, you know, they, they want to hear the gospel. I said, what gospel? What, what gospel do you want to hear? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You mean the gospel of the kingdom? Because that's what he said. I This was the cause that he was born to come into the world and preach this gospel of the kingdom. So it wasn't the gospel of being nice. It wasn't the gospel of saying nice things. It wasn't the gospel of singing. It wasn't the gospel of going to church on Sunday or Sabbath. It wasn't the gospel of doctrines made up by men that Christ never even mentioned. It was the gospel of the kingdom. That you were to seek that kingdom of God and what? Righteousness. It is not righteous to force your neighbor to help you out when you need help. That's called stealing. It's certainly called at least coveting. And that is forbidden by the Ten Commandments. So, when Paul is writing Corinth, he is writing people that are already on that journey to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the question comes, what journey are you on? <laughs> what, what are you up to? So anyway, we went through, uh, like I said, the last of 13. I, I think I had not got to the end of that. And then, of course, by the end of the first hour, we had just barely got to the end of 14. And uh, so I had to go over some of that. And then we were going to go into chapter 15. And I've been repeating right along that the chapters are man breaks. They are, these, this is a letter. This is a credence letter to the government of God in Corinth from the apostle, the ambassador of God named Paul, who was from Tarsus, who had once persecuted the church as a member of another religion, which was some people called Judaism. He was amongst the Pharisees. That was the branch or sect of Judaism that he was with. And he said, oh my gosh, I'm doing the wrong thing. I shouldn't be persecuting these guys. And so he worked really hard to do the contrary and help them out. And uh, had lots of adventures along the way and lots of persecution along the way. But the reality is, that's what he was up to. To go back and deal with the issues that early Christians were facing. uh, And that's why he ended up arguing in court. You know, that, you know, this is the way it was from the beginning. This is our government. This is the way we operate. You know, we're still going to pay, you know, we go on the Appian Way. We're still going to pay the the tariff charges and the post charges and the fees. If we dock, dock at your harbor, we'll still pay all those fees. You know, you would, you could actually be taxed by, you know, if you traveled down Roman highways, you would be taxed based on the number of axles in your cart. They'd count them up. If it was, and maybe you didn't have any axles, you were doing it by burrow. They'd count them up. You would get, you would have to pay a portion based on the fact that you were in commerce and using their road. And this is the way they supported the roads. It's kind of like toll roads. They did that and they had a number of other taxes. But the tax that came for your welfare was paid through the temple. And at one time it was free will offerings even in Rome. But now under the emperors, the commanders-in-chief, that's what emperor means, commander-in-chief, who was the chief executive officer of Rome, the Republic, which was steadily moving from a republic to an indirect democracy and eventually to a democracy, which we see when the, the popular people elected a new Caesar. And then they'd have new Caesars on a pretty regular basis, 
and those Caesars would take an oath of office and they were the chief executive office and they started things like Tiberius started a kind of a secret police and and then there was kind of like the Patriot Act that he signed that you could be arrested just for suspicion. All these things were going on. Then suddenly there were food shortages and then there were wars and everybody was trying to get your government dragged into another war. Right now, I guess Trump is pulling, who is the president of the United States, is pulling troops out of uh, Syria and Turkey starts to come in. And uh, continue an ongoing battle between Turkey and Syria for probably 2,000 years. And he wanted our troops out of there, because uh, the U.S. troops out of there, because he didn't want them to be dragged into another quagmire of war. People are all upset. <laughs> the media is all upset, you know. They were worried that Trump would get elected and get us into a war, and now he's getting getting the U.S. out of a war, and they're complaining about that. And some people have speculated, people I know in government said that they actually believe that Turkey was put up to this invasion to drag us back in because the powers that be want the U.S. involved in these endless wars. And uh, and Trump, evidently, the, the President of the United States said, no, I don't want them in that war. Oh, we're taking them out. So anyway, and but people always find something to complain about. But the point is, history is always repeating itself. Uh, somebody said that Trump is now going to step down from the office. And he said it would be in, what would it be, 2025, <laughs> January 20th, which is the end of his second term. He was going to step down. <laughs> but the reality is that leaders will come and go, and another leader will get in there, and he might get the whole United States into another war. You never know. Things go around. What we're supposed to be doing is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what Paul, to understand what Paul is telling these people in Corinth, will help you understand the gospel of the kingdom. What were the Christians really doing? And what they were doing was awakening to righteousness. So we're in chapter 15. And if you go to verse 17, it says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Faith is vain. What he's talking about is your allegiance to Christ is vain. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Talk about the people that have already died. They will never rise again. So this is in the metaphysical message. But like I said, Paul, in order to get... Spiritual messages, temporal messages, and these metaphysical messages mixed together. He talks and he kind of goes back and forth between these things so that you understand the precept upon precept. Which is why Peter, who is very, very cut and dry, you know, to covetous practices, they'll make merchandise of you. He just says it right out. You know, that's a fisherman. He just... Throws his net right out. He takes it right in. This is a 10-pound fish. This is a 5-pound fish. He knows what he's dealing with, and he sees things as they are. Paul is going to talk about things that are a little bit more ephemeral, a little bit more uh, spiritual, and he does, the way he talks about these things is he mixes the metaphors in. And so he's saying, you know, if you go this way, this is going to happen. If you go this way, something else spiritually is going to take place. So anyway, he goes on, if this life only we have hope in Christ, 
we are all men most miserable. In verse 20, we start kind of a new paragraph. Somebody put those in. The paragraphs aren't always in the original text. But they're trying to say that he's shifting topics a little bit in in the paragraph sense. But he's really still talking about what he talked about before. And we know this because he begins the statement with the word but. So he's shifting gears here. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by men came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's, possessive, as uh, at his coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule, all authority, and all power. Now those words, all rule, all authority, and all power, I think I have over there in the sidebar, I will have links to those words so that you can look them up. What word is they? Well, I can, I can tell you from memory that all rule it has to do with arche because Christ was an anarchist. I should put links in there for that so that you can go and find out what, what I mean. Christ was an anarchist. He was the beloved anarchist. He wasn't bombing places. He wasn't destroying other governments. He was showing you how to live without an authoritarian government. That the authority and the power of government was back in your hands. You cannot get that without taking back your responsibilities one to another. You have to come together so that you can help one another. Good times and bad times. So, and then he also talks about authority and power. I'm sure one of those words is exousia and the other one is probably dunamis. But anyway, I don't have it right in front of me so I'm not going to say for sure. We'll just have to look that up later. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So he's talking about physical kingdoms, rulers, authorities, arche, but he's also talking about spiritual authority and rules and laws like we all face death. Because he's trying to talk to you about things hard to understand. People who want to become a Christian because they want to live forever, is that's like the prosperity gospel. That isn't the way you get there. And he goes on to say, For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Now he's talking about Jewish tradition then, because they would baptize somebody, wash somebody, at their death, they'd wash the body before they interred it. 
And it was a part of a religious ceremony. And this, these are symbols of something that we would have to understand in the metaphysical realm and the spiritual realm. But it's also, con- the, the gospel is for you in spirit and in truth. It's for the physical re- reality and for the spiritual reality. And in that awakening of the spiritual reality, you will understand the physical reality more. You'll have a better uh, understanding of how things in the physical realm actually work. And someday, maybe people will get an idea how far that can go. Because there are things that you could do and accomplish that you have not even seen, both on a spiritual level and on a physical level. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. So he's talking about the end of death, yet he's saying, I die daily. What did Christ say? You lay down my life so that I may pick it up more abundantly. This is a spiritual principle that you must lay down your life. You must sacrifice your life, your time, your energy. You take care of your children. That's sacrifice. You take care of your husband or your wife. That's sacrifice. You take care of your neighbor. That's sacrifice. You cast your bread upon the waters for people you don't even know. That's sacrifice. You do it wisely and according to the leading of the Holy Spirit because I was saying earlier it has to be fruitful. It has to edify. It has to strengthen the people. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts in Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die remember that you've heard that that is actually in the bible eat drink and be merry for tomorrow you die be not deceived evil communications corrupt good manners good actions good activities then he says awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of god I speak this to your shame. Because evidently people were sinning. Starts the next paragraph with the word but. Uh, 35, verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. Right? Except it die. Now, Paul's talking about, he's the one who dies daily. So what is he talking about, die? You're not quickened unless you die daily? Unless you sacrifice? Unless you give of your heart as God gave you? As you, aren't we supposed to forgive as if we are to be forgiven? Aren't we supposed to give if we are to be given too? You see, he's talking about spiritual principles. He's talking about quantum mechanics is what he's talking about. In order for the grain to be born up anew, it has to go into the ground and begin to rot. And then the moisture comes in and then new life is sprung up. And that's what you should be doing with your life daily. Planting the seeds in other souls and hearts daily. 
so that they too may seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, you don't really plant those seeds by your patience, by your charity. And again, we talked about charity this morning. Charity is not the same thing as giving stuff away. It's more than that. It may, there may be a process of giving, but it has to be giving to edify. Were you talking with somebody who doesn't understand, you're praying that he does understand, and you're humbling yourself to let God be an instrument of helping them. You're not trying to force them to understand. You're trying to allow them to understand, and you're just being the candle in the room on the lampstand. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. He's talking about that that grain that dies. He says, And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain. He's saying that this principle of sowing is repeated in creation. Not just in grain, in the physical thing, but also spiritually. You may sow it, but another man harvest. You may share with somebody, but you may not see it sprout. You're giving without hope of recompense directly back to you, but in hope of recompense back to others. So that, this is the principle again of the quantum, if you're doing everything selfishly, you know, I go to church because it makes me feel good, you're blocking the actual dunamis of God, the actual exousia of God. And you will not have archi dominion over the earth and the things that are in it. All flesh is not the same flesh. See, he's he's making a comparison here. Uh, let me go back a, a verse to 38. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. So you're casting your energy out there in hopes that other bodies will grow up. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, another of birds... There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now that word glory, we'll have to study that at another time. What does that actually mean? He talks about the glory to God, not to yourself, the kind of the credit. In this sense, you can refer to it. He says, there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, and one star differeth from another star in glory. In what, it's manifestation. That's the glory that, and the manifestation. Why, he's making comparison now to the moon, and stars, and, and, and before it was seeds of grain, He's showing you the same principle in the allegory of reality, of of life, and how the principles of God are repeated in all of creation. And so now, how does this relate to you as an individual? So also...
is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in powers. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And it's the spiritual power that God, that we see in Christ, that is what was bringing these healings to those who would receive that spirit. In order to receive that spirit, like I say, you have to receive the truth of that spirit. So all the people who think that it's okay to keep coveting their neighbor's goods through the agency of government, they're not going to have the quickening of the spirit. If they have the quickening of the spirit, they're going to see this. And there are little things you see that are kingdom tracks. When Everybody has to do it in their own time and order. But there are certain things in these kingdom tracks. You will see amongst people who suddenly decide to homeschool. That's taking back the responsibility, trying to do better by their family, by their children. Children are homeschooled. They're 30% smarter than kids that go to public school on average. So how is, so if you want to send your kids to public school, you want them to be 30% dumber. Evidently. Because statistics showed that they'd be better at home. So what's really going on here? The, the, they're, the, the, and I'm not saying all homeschoolers are doing right by their children because some are obviously not. But all people who send their kids to public school are not doing right by their children. Nor are they all evil. I'm saying that these are kingdom tracks. That you, we will see certain things. They get married, they stay married. They work out their salvation with their wife and their husband with fear and trembling. They try to make it work. They take care of their parents. They take care of their kids. They have moral integrity. They may have been raised in an immoral household, but they see, no, I I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. They give up drugs. They give up... They they give up anger. They give up resentment. So you'll see certain things. They become charitable, more forgiving. These are tracks, kingdom tracks, that we all need to cultivate on our journey through life. So there is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Well, we are all living souls. But if we don't follow the ways of the kingdom, we will die to certain understanding. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As and now again he's telling you all this, not to create doctrines, but to try to tell you certain principles. As is the earth, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. 
So he was telling you to be righteous, to awaken unto righteousness. This is the message of that whole uh, paragraph. And and it goes all the way back from his that you have to be one of the ways to edify your own spirit is to edify others. To take care of others. What makes you a good parent? Being a parent to your children. Sacrifice to your children. So, we see here in the next paragraph, which I call showing the secrets. This is a continuation because he starts off with, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, he calls it. Now that last trump, is that 2,000 years after Christ? Is that the last trump for you? You know, when you die, do you go into darkness or do you go into light? What What's it going to be? Now, I don't want to create all kinds of, you know, doctrines about what heaven looks like and that we're all supposed to go to heaven. No. <laughs> what I love what uh, they said in one science fiction he says, don't think of it as dying. Think of it as fighting evil in another dimension. <laughs> yeah, heaven is not a gigantic retirement community. That would be boring. Whatever heaven is, it's that your spirit quickeneth and is not taken down with the flesh because you don't live by flesh. You live by the spirit. Are you walking in the spirit? What is the evidence of that? If I went around, you know, touching people and healing people, he would say, oh my gosh, let's follow him. No, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to follow the Spirit. But what is the Spirit? Are you even aware of the Spirit? Well, one way to become aware of the Spirit is that you have to become aware of your sin. Where you've gone off the track. Do you kill people? Do you steal from people? Do you commit adultery? Do you adulterate your own body with obesity? With drugs? Do you covet your neighbor's goods? The Tenth Commandment, the Ninth Commandment, you know, all those, they're commandments too. They're not less important. They're just as important. And that seems to be the one thing that nobody can get. Most people admit killing is bad. Stealing is bad. That's easy. Lying, well, they kind of go back and forth on lying. Bearing false witness, which is lying. What about coveting? I never hear anybody talking about that. And then when they do, they talk about like, you know, wanting a new truck. You can want a new truck that because your neighbor has a new truck. You just can't want his truck. <laughs> you got to want another truck like his. You don't want to take away from him. You don't want to steal from him. You don't want to take away his air, his breath, his wife. You could say, I want a wife like that guy because she he has a really great wife. That's okay. That's not coveting. Coveting is wanting somebody else's stuff. That is pervasive throughout the world. And that has brought great blindness. So for this corruptible must put on the incorruption. You know, this, he's talking, he just ended that last statement. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So behold, show you the mystery. He says, uh, some will not sleep. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we may be changed. 
in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and his mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall he, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that ye, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So then he goes on, if people do not want to do what they early church, actually this is, that was the end of the, those verses, but I go on talking about Paul preaching. Uh, if people do not want to do what the early Christians were doing, then they have not really repented and have not been converted. These early Christians were actually converted to this new way of caring for one another by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. These are his phrases talking about the gospel of Christ. And were not coveting their neighbor's goods by applying to men who exercise authority one over the other. This is how the kingdom of God works. If your church is not teaching you that this is what we should be doing, then your church is not a church established by Christ. It's, it's that simple. You, you have to turn around, you have to repent, you have to do things a different way and go a different way. And that way is the way of Christ. If you're not going the way of Christ, then how is it that you have repented? You're doing exactly what the Pharisees were doing at the time of Christ. Your Corbin, your sacrifice, that's what Corbin means, is making the word of God to none effect because 80 to 90% of your sacrifice is forced offerings. Now I'll tell you the truth. The men who pay, the people who pay their taxes willingly because they see a need to support the government. Because the government does do, it does take care of widows and orphans. It does take care of the needy of society. But it also does a lot of other things. But they're willing to pay. They don't like the bad things that it does. But it likes the good things that it does. And they don't know there's another way. Well, there is another way. It's called the kingdom of God. It's where all those people who are absolutely willing to pay their taxes, because they see it's important to support the local community, to give back into the uh, uh, community, those people are more likely close to the kingdom than the people who are tax rebellion. Uh, You know, just don't want to pay taxes. They don't want to pay taxes to, to the government. They don't want to pay taxes to God. 
They're slothful in the ways of Christ. They're slothful in the ways of righteousness. That's what we're supposed to be. If we're seeking the kingdom of God, that's not enough. If we want to be free souls under God, that's not enough. We have to also be seeking the righteousness of God. So are we doing that? Are are you doing that? That's more important. Uh, because Now, so what do you do to do that? How do you get on that road of righteousness? How do you turn around and go the other way? Uh, it's it's not it's not just pie in the sky. That he had an actual plan, and he was preaching the kingdom. And he says, "Unless you eat of my flesh and my blood," and everybody goes like, "Whoa, I don't know." Well, they knew who Christ was. They knew he was from this rich family. You know, people want to think that he was born to some poor family and put in a manger and everything. Well, the, he was. Maybe he was put in some sort of a box and that, that we translate that word manger. Most kids were just, they were born and they were held. They might be wrapped in some cloth, but he actually had swaddling clothes designated just to wrap them up. They, they were not that poor because it says in the Bible that he was rich. That's right. It says in the Bible, in the New Testament, that Jesus was rich. Now people want to navigate around that because they want you to all believe that Jesus was poor. So that you're okay with being poor too. <laughs> That's a tradition. But no, Jesus was rich. But he made himself poor. That's what it says. And why did he make himself poor? He made himself poor because he was to be the high priest of the kingdom. Who was the rightful high priest? Remember I talked this morning about the Sanhedrin. There was a great rebellion in the Sanhedrin. The corruption was so pervasive. Ananias and his uh, sons were taking the uh, high priest position one after another and they were getting filthy, powerfully rich and they were manipulating things and there was evidently an assassination and and, uh, and of course they had a couple of kings uh, like Hyrcanus and stuff who you know killed all kinds of people. There was all this social upheaval and so you had you know who's who. Who is the rightful high priest? Because the majority of the Sanhedrin, the majority of the righteous Sanhedrin stood up and walked out because it was so much corruption. They would not have anything more to do with that Sanhedrin because corruption had seized the majority. This is right at the time of John the Baptist. Next thing you know, John the Baptist, who was son of one of the priests and probably the high priest at one point, goes out to the desert and lives with the Essenes, evidently. And out there, he begins to preach another kingdom and is baptizing people in a Jewish tradition, not in the laver at the temple, but out by the Jordan River, as if he was going back to the beginning when they first came to Israel, going back to the earlier ways. And those earlier ways was, if you have two coats, share. If you have, do the same in meats. So this was the way to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, is to do that. But So how do we do that? How is the mechanics of that uh, established? Well, I'll tell you in a moment, after a few brief breaks, and we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Paul is writing to 
a network of people that are in Corinth. He is traveling to Ephesus. He's traveling to Galatia. He's actually carrying large amounts of funds about because of his particular prestige in the Roman Empire. He was the stepson of a high-ranking Roman official. Uh, he was half-brother to a high-ranking Roman official. Uh, he was actually even, uh, that half-brother was married uh, to a high-ranking British uh, family. Uh, actually, the king of Great Britain, who was held prisoner at that time in uh, Rome, in uh, Britannia, uh, which is an area of Rome that was actually built for somebody else, but then they put him in it. They were going to execute him, but they were so impressed with him that they kept him on. But they were even more impressed with his daughter, who was this very tall, blonde uh, Saxon young lady who married Paul's half-brother. And her name was Gladys, but she was known in the Bible as Claudia because she was given that name by the emperor of Rome, Claudius, who was very impressed with her as well. Anyways, she had two daughters who were the nieces of Paul and where they were early Christians and helped gather the bodies after one of the buggerumps where they killed a lot of Christians because they were all angry with Christians. Why were they angry at Christians? The same reason a lot of people get angry at me because I tell them what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> Coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of government. Your socialism and social welfare is a sin and you need to repent of that in every aspect of your life because you're headed towards t- tyranny and despotism. That's where it leads. And I've shown you over and over again, the Bible tells you, you know, if you sit and eat with a ruler and you be a man of appetite, put a knife to your throat because he serves you deceitful meats. If you all want to have one purse, you know, like socialism where we all have one purse, he says it runs towards death. Now, the Bible is telling you these things over and over again. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. <laughs> that's the end of socialism if you can't do that, because that's what it's all about. Your neighbor works and you want a share of his profit. And you want to force that. Taxation is all along that same line. But you should be paying your taxes, because the slothful should be under tribute. And you've been slothful in the ways of Christ. I know a lot of people don't want to pay taxes. Even the people who willingly pay taxes don't want it. They would rather not. But that isn't the point. The point is, is that if you want a voluntary society, you have to give voluntarily. If you don't want to give at all, then you just want to be a hermit. <laughs> and you can go out until somebody finds you and beats the tar out of you and steals everything you have. Doesn't work. You know, go ask Silas Marner. Anyway, he talks about he all the stuff that he's been declaring all the way up to chapter 15. He hopes that he's not declaring it in vain. What does he mean, declaring it in vain? He uses this word uh, vain a couple of times. What is he talking about? Well, there's actually a couple of different words that can be translated vainly. And one of them is eke, which is... Uh, inconsiderably, without purpose, without just cause. So that would be something that was done in vain. Uh, If we go look at Exodus um, 27, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. 
that take his name in vain. So if you're saying you're a Christian, you're saying I'm a follower of Christ. But if you're still coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other, though they call themselves benefactors, then you are not really following Christ. Because he said it was not to be that way with you. You get it? You're claiming to be a Christian, but you're taking the name of Christ in vain. Now, you may be nice about a lot of other things, and maybe you don't steal, and maybe you don't murder on a regular basis anyway. You know, you may may give money to to help abortion clinics indirectly to the same government that you want all those benefits from. But you don't actually go out and stab people. So you're pretty good that way. But if you're still coveting, you're not, you've, you've met your wall. You know, there's some people that says, well, I want to believe in Jesus, but I still want to take my drugs. I still want to be an alcoholic. I still want to be obese. No, you got to stop those. Those are your wall. you got to get beyond that. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can get beyond that and actually do really good. But what about your coveting your neighbor's goods? Do you want to do that? What about being slothful in the ways of righteousness, edifying one another? What about your vanity? What about your unforgiveness? Have you forgiven your ex-wife, your ex-husband? Have you forgiven uh, the enemy who kept you captive or the robber who uh, robbed you? Have you forgiven them? You need to forgive all these so that you can be forgiven all the things that you've done. So in Matthew 15, 9, we see, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And there's in Mark 7, 7, you'll see the same thing. That's where we're at. But there's another word that's translated vain. And it's kinos. But most of the time, uh, well, most of the time is translated vain or in vain or empty thing. And it means empty, vain, uh, devoid uh, kind of thing. But it's also a metaphor for destitute of spiritual wealth, they say. This is what they say. Or a metaphor of endeavors, of labors, of acts which result in nothing. And, of course, Paul's been talking about, you know, the people who speak in tongues, better off they keep quiet if there's no edification, there's no value to what they say, and nobody understands what they're saying, then they should just keep that to themselves. He's saying, don't forbid people from speaking in tongues, but what is tongues really all about? And you can go listen to this morning's show. Join the network, and you all these things will be, uh, people will show you where all these things are and how to get, to, I mean, you don't have to pay anything to hear them. They're all presented for free. But you need to take a step in that direction. Now, I have a lot written below and at preparingyou.com in Corinthians. But, you know, in the side panel, which I put up for some notes, you know, like verse 24, I mentioned before, it says, put down all rule and all authority and all power. So the word rule was RK, just as I remembered. It, and it, RK is, you know, like a ruler. If you, and Jesus, you know, when he says, you know, the rulers of the, of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other but call themselves benefactors, you're not to be that way. So he's using that word RK in that sense. And that's why he's an anarchist because he forbid his disciples to exercise authority one over the other. That he is to be greatest amongst you. They still have a kind of a hierarchy, but it's not a hierarchy of authority of one over the other, but it's a hierarchy of service. That The way you get higher in the kingdom, the rank in the kingdom, is that you are the best servant of servant of servants, not ruler of ruler of rulers. The world, it's the other way around. 
But the second word there was exousia, which is the word we see power or choice. It's actually translated liberty, but it's the one we see in Romans 13 when it says, let every man remain subject to the higher power. That word there is the power of choice. The higher power of choice. The original power of choice. That was what God gave you. The right to choose. But unfortunately people give that power over to domestic governments. Or civil governments. And they choose for you. But God wants you to be free souls under him. So people have Romans 13 all wrong. So you can go. I should have links in there for Romans 13 as well. But the the last word we see there is mostly translated power. And it's dunamis. And it's the actual ability. And I'm telling you that if you turn around and you actually begin to seek the kingdom of God, which is this government of voluntary government, of free will offerings, which help one another, so that everybody becomes less and less dependent upon the governments of the world, you will obtain more power. But as soon as you use that power unrighteously, it will begin to drain out like a leaky bucket. So, when he talks about the last enemy of death, yet he says, die daily, he's talking about that sacrifice of your power so that others may have power. You sacrifice your life so that others may live. This is key to having life more abundant. This is key to the quickening. This key to the awakening. And flesh and blood are not going to get it. You know, you have to have the flesh and blood of Christ who was rich and made himself poor in order to serve people, to show them this other way. Paul is talking to people that are doing what Christ said to do, are trusting in the good news, the righteous way of God. They have repented of the covetous ways. Paul talks to Agrippa in Acts 26.20, and I have links there so you can go to it. These people were told by Paul to do works meet for repentance. In other words, if you're really repenting, we should see you doing this, taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Not token taking care of one another, but actually taking care of one another. In Galatians 2.16, we see knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith. Of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But go read Galatians 5.19 and find out how you can't be an adulterer, fornicator, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred variance, all these different things, or you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. But that's where we'll take it up next time on Keys of the Kingdom. So, until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to 
His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.